We are continuing with, uh, we're actually finishing today our, our series uh, called One. We're exploring the ways that God has called us to be one with Him and with one another. And right now at our Roland Heights campus, as we said, Albert and Christine are having, they're, they're actually finishing up, probably just finished up, their last service as pastors at Trinity Church. And I will admit that it does feel a little bit weird that I'm not over there with them. I, over the years, I've had some great memories with, uh, with Albert and Christine and their family. This is Albert and Christine coming to see Gloria and me when Elise, our first child, was born. Um, they came over. That was in our, our little apartment over there in Arcadia, and they came and visited us, and um, they prayed over her, and we were so glad to, to see them and just to see people in general because we were like hibernating in the house. Um, that is uh, when Albert and Christine asked me to, uh, to dedicate Nathaniel their fourth child, and that was a privilege. That was an honor to be able to do that for them. You know, Albert's, it was usually Albert on the other end doing the dedicating, and he asked me to, to dedicate, and so and it was the first of their kids that I got to do that for. That was really special. Um, this was on our staff retreat when Albert and I accidentally um, dressed the same. Uh, we, didn't even, uh, we didn't even plan it that way, but I guess we just, we were so in sync, and we just had to uh, document the event with a picture. That was really special. And uh, this one, I didn't get to be in this picture. My dad did. Um, but I just, I just think this was at our Lunar New Year. In fact, at Chinese New Year Festival in Monterey Park here. We got to play. Our band got to play. Our church band got to play some songs. And Albert got up there and did his, uh, his pop star thing. And I just love this picture of Albert. Um, I just think it just really, it just really captures the passion of Albert Hung. I just uh, I love, uh, I love seeing that. Um, you know, I, I had actually proposed to the board a while back. I said, you know what? We should just shut everything down here at Monterey Park, and we should just, everybody just go over there and be over at Roland Heights for their last day. I, I've been on staff here at Trinity for, for eight years, uh, more than eight years, actually. I came to Trinity for the first time. This coming May, it's going to be 10 years since my first visit to Trinity Church, and, and I can't believe it's gone by that fast. I, I really have not known Trinity without Albert and Christine, as is the case with many of you. Um, Albert and Christine, their kids, they're not just my pastor's family. They're, they're not, um, Albert's not just my boss. Um, they're, they are like my family. So I said to the board, let's just go, we can't just have a regular service here at Monterey Park. Let's go over to Roland Heights and we just pack up and move the party over there. And, and, and so what if it's standing room only? We're just going to, we're just, everybody's going to be over there. And our board was understanding and the board said, you know what, Johnny, if you want to go over there and be with them, you just arrange for someone to preach here at Monterey Park and you just go over there and be with, with Albert and Christine. Um, but it didn't work out, and I'm okay with that, and I want to tell you why. Something that Wes, who was just up here right here, our Wes, our Wes, was up here, our board secretary Wes, um, he was just up here, and, and, and he said something in that board meeting that really kind of changed my thinking. He said, no, we're not going to do that. Uh, and he said, and I'll tell you why. If we shut everything down at Monterey Park, and we move everything to Roland Heights for their last day. That communicates something that we don't want to communicate. It communicates that the Hungs and their family are the church. But the Hungs by themselves, they are not the church. This is the church. And believe me, I know, I'm not saying anything that Albert and Christine wouldn't agree with me 100% on. Their goal during these last few messages that they had was to direct our attention to Christ and in that to support and commit to each other. 
And of course, Albert and Christine have been leading this church, and they, were, they always will be, and they have been an important part in the life and history of Trinity Church. Their family will always matter to us at Trinity Church, and we send them out with our love and our support. And our Roland Heights campus is fortunate that they get to be with my friends for their last Sundays, their last Sunday as pastors. But you know what? Something important is happening here today, too. Some of you might not have been able to make it over to Roland Heights today if we had gone ahead with my original idea. Are you not important to Trinity Church? Some of you didn't really know them that well, and so this campus has become your church family. Are you not important to Trinity Church? Some of you come here to this campus because there are people who know you, people with whom you've been building relationships. Are you not important? Some of you are invested in building connections with families from our school, on this campus, or people from this community. Are you not important? Are those families not important? Our Mandarin congregation meets here every week, and their pastor, Carol, drives around. She has to drive around every Sunday morning to pick up people so they can come to church because they don't have cars. Are they not important to Trinity Church? Some of you came here today to have a personal encounter with the living God, to hear what he wants to say to you today, so you can be encouraged. Are you not important to Trinity Church? God's Holy Spirit is here, moving and speaking and ready to transform lives, just as the Holy Spirit is there at our Rolling Heights campus. Is that not important to Trinity Church? And the answer to all of these is a million times, of course, that's important. You, my church family, are tremendously valuable to Trinity Church because you are tremendously valuable to God. You may not bear the title of pastor or board member or director or team leader, but you are valued and you are valuable. If you claim Jesus Christ as your Redeemer and your Savior and your friend and your Lord, then you are a child of God and He is your perfect Heavenly Father. Even if you don't see yourself as quite part of this family yet, or not fully yet, I don't believe that it's an accident that you're here today. So today I want to share a bit about why everyone who is part of this family is a part that matters. And it's not just who, those who bear the title of pastor who matter. Now we've talked about this before and it bears repeating. The church, this church, Trinity Church, what happens here on Sundays during the week the people we serve, the families we support, the men and women and youth and children that we disciple, none of it, none of this happens by just the pastors alone. None of it. And I, as a pastor, I can say I appreciate everyone who comes together to make Trinity Church what it is. Our kid ministry, our worship arts team, our first impression team, our prayer team, our finance team, our uh, Sunday school teaching discipleship team. Um, those who set up our communion elements, our Mandarin congregation pastors and leaders, those who set up the snacks and drinks outside. So many people who come together. Henry, where's Henry? Henry's not here today, but he, he, he's helping set up the tables right now, but he also goes around in the mornings. I don't know if you've ever seen Henry going around watering the plants, right? Those of you who, who may not have an official title here at Trinity, but you're just you're looking for people to connect with all the time, and after service, you're just praying with people and you're talking with people each week. Those who give their finances as an offering, and on and on and on. It takes the entire village. It really does. It takes the entire village who's invested in this body. 
Now, that being said, I know that I, as a pastor, have certain responsibility and accountability within the church that most of you don't have, and I gladly accept that. But still, I think we can recognize all the different parts of what Trinity Church is. There's no way that one pastor or even a team of pastors can do it on our own. But there is something that we as pastors here are to do for the rest of the church, which Paul talks about in Ephesians 4. This is what it says. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. I know that we have prophets among us here in our congregation, those who speak the word of God with authority. I know that we have evangelists among us, those whose hearts burn to share the gospel of Christ with others. We have teachers among us, those who have a passion to shed light and to bring understanding about the things of God. And we have pastors, those who are called to shepherd and steward a body of believers as a whole. Now what this passage says is that those who are called in this way have a special job. It is our job to what? To equip to equip the rest of the body for works of service. Why? It says, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This is much bigger than I think most of us realize. Our job as pastors is to equip the whole church for works of service, but the ultimate goal is not just so that we have more and more and more people to run around like busy worker ants making themselves busy, the goal is to build us up into unity, oneness, until we are all one in the faith, until we are all one in the knowledge of the Son of God, not just knowing about Jesus together, but knowing him personally. In other words, our job as pastors and prophets and evangelists and teachers is to know God more intimately and to help others know him more intimately. And by doing that, we understand more fully who we are, we become more who God has called us to be. That's what, this, that's what all this is for. That's what we're looking to do today, and that's why this is so important. That's why it matters that I'm standing in front of you today in Monterey Park, continuing the work that God has set me to do. We want to equip you, church, for the fullness of what God has for us as people. Now, I've invited my brother Aaron to share with us today, because we're going to be talking about what does it mean to be the church, what does it mean to be a body? And what is our responsibility as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ? Now, Aaron has a passion for teaching the scripture, and he's always looking to strengthen that gift. And so today is his opportunity to share with you what God has put on his heart. So I want you to listen, thinking about that, what I just shared with you. What does it mean for us to be the church together as a whole and to be equipped to do God's work? And would you help me to welcome my brother Aaron? Let's give him a we won't do that again. No, no, we won't. Um, thank you, first of all, um, for an opportunity. I love doing this, doing this, teaching scripture, any way to um, illuminate what God has given us freely. Um, I love doing. It's something I've done for years. It's something. Now that I've been for 2003, and it's 2018, so 15 years, I think, unless I, I don't think I can do math, but like, 
15 years, that's 15 years, thank you, um, is that, that aspect of bringing a light. And it's something I did in a pastoral role in New York and Colorado, something I did on a consistent basis. Um, and it's something that God basically removed from me to teach me some things um, and so I could work through some things personally. But uh, then he brought me out here after I met my wife, so on and so forth. And he's got me in a position now to where I'm not doing it in the same manner. I want to touch on, on, on a subject that, that, that as me and Johnny kind of conversed and talked um, over the past couple weeks, through this transition and everything happening with Albert and Christine, was a very necessary one. And it's a subject that, that is talked about a whole lot. It's one some people don't even know what the heck you're talking about when you say this term here, priest of all believers. But it's a term that's very necessary, and it's a term that comes, and I'll, I'll speak of the history of it, but it's, it's from the Reformation 500 years ago. And it's one that, that, that speaks to, to individuals, that speaks to each, in each of us that sit here today as a necessity for the individual in, in here today. So it speaks to each of you for each of you, for each of you. And that'll hopefully help, hopefully I'll, 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 I'll fl help flesh that out a little bit. But, but I want to give a quick definition of a priesthood of all believers and, and the way I've defined it. it. says, where every individual that follows Jesus has direct access to God without ecclesiastical mediation, basically pastor, priest, so on and so forth, mediation, and each individual shares the responsibility of ministering to the other members of the community of believers. To, to kind of sum that up, it's basically saying that it doesn't have to be the pastor that, that prays for you. It doesn't have to be the evangelist that goes out and shares the gospel. It doesn't have to be all those things that we are each equipped and being equipped. Because we are all God's workmen created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. One of the two, there's two texts I want to talk about today. The first is, is they're both from 1 Peter, and the first one is from chapter 2, verse 9. So if you, you feel like opening um, your Bible, it's chapter 2, verse 9. It's a one verse, very simple. Or if you want to use your phone, however. It says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now, this is one of those verses that was discovered by, during the Reformation by Martin Luther. And it's one of those that, as he studied, he was just getting ready to teach a class in Germany at the monastery that he worked at. And as he slowly studied... He started discovering these words directed towards everybody, towards not only guys like Johnny or other pastors or teachers and so on and so forth, but every single individual, because you are a royal priesthood. And that word royal in the Greek, it's, it's actually quite cool. I'm, a, I'm quite of a geek, if you will, which is why I, I think teaching is, is my gifting or my main gifting, because I love geeking out on things like Hebrew. 
my buddy Abner is going through a, a Hebrew class right now in college, and he's like, it's awesome, but it's hard. I kept thinking about, dude, do you want a study partner? And I would get no credit for it, just because I geek out on that stuff. I love that stuff. And I missed my two years of Hebrew in college. But the point being is, kind of side note, is that this word in Greek it means court. And it speaks in the court of a king. It's always referencing, it's only used twice in, in the New Testament. And it's always talking about the court of a king or the king's court. So my brief definition says, one who serves court of a king on behalf of the king. So it's one who serves in the court of the king on behalf of the king. So if you are a royal priesthood, you get to serve in the court of the king on behalf of the king. I don't know about you, but I kind of want to do somersaults, and I do really bad somersaults, which is hard to do because somersaults are something I learned when I was like five years old. But I still can't for some reason. But you are God's priest, you are here to serve the good king. We are God's royal priesthood. God called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. It changes things to, to a life lived by grace instead of a life filled with works by works to faith. Having to please God instead wanting to please God. It changes your mentality when you know that God has called you, he's saved you, he's redeemed you, and you get to go and serve him. And you get to go and do those things on behalf of the good king. And yes, he is good. Just watch Narnia. Good movie, though. But we are to be offering spiritual sacrifices. I mean, one of the things that priests do, and Martin Luther's history was the Catholic Church. So the priests still did a lot of sacrificial things with, with I don't know, they swung that big ball thingy, I can't remember what it's called, and and they were the ones that served communion, and they did all those things, but they were the only ones that were allowed to bless it. They were the only ones that were allowed to, to fulfill Galatians 6.2, carry one another burdens. There were all these things that only priests could do. And it totally just made the normal person useless, really, when it came, comes to the church, when it comes to serving one another. And even a, a Hebraic priest, a Hebrew priest, if he did what his duty was, he was the only one that went into the Holy of Holies for the Most High. And the priests would go into the holy place. No other person could. None, nobody from any other tribe could go into those places. They had to stay out, and the priest had to sacrifice, and the priest had to light the lamp, and the priest had to change the bread of presence, and so on and so forth. I mean, think about it. If we as God's people are doing what we do, do or, excuse me, if we as God's people are doing this, we then know where or who God calls us to at that moment in time or in life or even just for the day. There's been times I've taken the wrong bus. I remember this one time, quick story, where I took the wrong bus and I'm sitting on the bus and I loved sharing the gospel when I rode the bus. I would always go to and from work and to and from church and here and there and I had these coins from, from a ministry that I would use to start conversations with people. Some people would get mad because they thought it was you know, money, and it wasn't money. Not a good idea. But as I sat down, I saw this guy. He had this bag, and I knew exactly what was in the bag because I'd been there. That's my story. And he was drunk. And I still felt God say, share. 
So I sat there and shared with a drunk guy. He was obviously out of his mind. Two weeks later, I'm riding the same bus, on purpose this time. He comes back and he looks right at me. I thought he was going to run and punch me because he was so mad at me. The guy comes and shakes my hand and says, thank you. I've repented. I'm going back to church. I've been baptized. I'm not smoking cigarettes anymore. I don't say that to, 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 for me. It's a story I always know. I say that as an example of just going and doing and mediating on behalf of God to the believer and to the even soon-to-be believer. I didn't know what this guy was going to do. All I wanted him to do and know was Jesus. That's all I wanted. When we think about this priesthood of all believers, think about that, that we're each given the ability to talk and minister to one another. 1 Peter 4, 9 and 10, or excuse me, 10 and 11, I believe I wrote it wrong, says, as each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. By the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This passage is very pivotal. Because then now Peter only not only says we're a royal priesthood, we're a holy nation, we're a people of God's own possession, but he says then each one of you, meaning you're not excluded. Nope, can't use that excuse because God said so. Sorry, he said it, I didn't. Even though I'm saying it for him. This verse looks at, this verse looks at two big parts of this whole priesthood of all believers doctrine. It looks at the manner in which we use our gift towards others, and it also looks at the manner in which we handle our gifts. Three things we use, the manner in which we use our gifts, we use them as good stewards, we do it faithfully, and we must remember that these are gifts. That means they're free. That Greek word charis, it's the same word that's used of, for it is a gift of God, speaking of salvation in Ephesians 2.8. It's the same exact word. That's the beauty of, of, of having this priesthood, that we're each given gifts. The gifts are given for the common good, not just to hold and harbor. And remember, one is a toe, one is an eye, one is uh, an ear. And not one is better or less than. The manner in which we do or we handle our gifts, we serve and we speak. So overarching, there's two types of gifts. Serving gifts, speaking gifts. I'm not going to get into spiritual gifts, but there's the manner in which we handle them and the manner in which we use them. So how do we kind of, anybody in here juggle? No. Okay, so if I mess this up, it's okay then. When you juggle, you have to keep a rotation, and you have to make sure that you don't drop one, and you have this, this flow. And I, I think of, of spiritual gifts in that manner, that there is a flow in which we handle our spiritual gifts, in which we handle them, which, the manner in which we use them. Because then somebody else can come in, and you can juggle and flip balls between the two of you. And it's interesting when you see two people do that, 
because when two people do that and they do it well, it's beautiful. And it actually brings much more than just amusement. It brings awe and beauty for such things, so something so simple. I mean, think about this really quick. How did Jesus speak and serve? He always knew what the Father was doing and what the Father wanted him to do. He always did it in a very humble manner. When people were trying to make him king, guess what he did? He withdrew. Because he knew what, the God, what, what God the Father wanted. He didn't withdraw because he didn't want to be king. He is, he is king. And he will be reigned the king. Every knee will bow and tongue will confess. How does the scripture speak? What does the spirit speak to us and how to use it? If we speak as the very words of God and serve as the... As, and we serve with the very hands of God, our perception of good works even changes. It can go from, again, like I said, I have to please or I have to do these things, to I get to please God, I get to do these things. Like I said, the, the history behind this is that Martin Luther was a, monk, a German monk. He was specifically an Augustinian monk. And after he started studying the scriptures for teaching a class, like I said, he started seeing some things. And he started, his eyes started to open up against the very faith that he was teaching about, for, at first was indulgences, that trying to buy your way or buy your family members means into heaven. And then he started seeing the priesthood. And this whole priest did this, everybody else just sat and listened. And everybody else just received, which is where the term priesthood of all believers came coined. Because he saw that that just was not right. That was one of the things that the Catholic Church did not like about him. Now, they didn't want to just kick him out. He didn't want to actually leave the Catholic Church. He just wanted to reform it. But they said, no, you have to retract your statements. And he said, no, I won't. Because you're wrong. Pope didn't like that very much. Popes don't like it when you tell them they're wrong. I only know that from what Martin Luther went through. Never talked to the Pope myself. I did grow up Catholic, so I understand. A few years back, five or six, I started studying a lot of the missional church. And one of the statements that the missional church always talks about is sacred and secular ruins the church. Having the term sacred and secular ruins the church directly from a gentleman named Alan Hirsch. If you want to read any of his stuff, I have some of his books. But specifically, I agree with him. Because to me, if you separate, you say this is godly and this is not, then you almost, my wife's work as a science teacher isn't sec, is a secular, not sacred, because she doesn't work in a church. My work as an insurance agent not my favorite job in the world. It's actually frustrating. I'll explain that in a little bit right now. For me, I'll explain that in a little bit. But not sacred. I can't do it for God then. I have to actually have a pastoral job or an apostolic job for it to be sacred, for it to be holy. And, 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 and his point ultimately, and, and again, I agree with this, I'm not just saying it, is it actually changes the dynamic of the church. And it involves everybody. And everybody is equally as important. 
Now there's oversight, there's leadership, and that's important. You need people that fully give their lives to that. You need that. Otherwise, the church would be chaotic. But you can't remove the importance of your place in society or in the church. When Luther referred to the priesthood of all believers, he was maintaining that the plowboy and the milkmaid could do priestly work. Now, there's really no plowboys or milkmaids anymore, but the math teacher and the tech guy could do priestly work. The high school football coach and the insurance agent could do priestly work. The high school student could do priestly work. The college student can do priestly work. Because the priest is, is, is somebody who actually mediates to God on behalf of others. A quick definition of, of what does the priesthood of all believers mean for us. A priest is required to act as a mediator, like I said. He is one who represents, or she, is one who represents the divine being to his subjects and in return from there to God. He acts as an ambassador, a chosen vessel through which the Lord has chosen to serve the people and represent him on his behalf. Now remember, this was always a priest or somebody up here and everybody else is down here just receives. And that's one thing I love, the conversation we had over the past couple weeks is the necessity of this is the church is not about Albert and Christine. And they would also agree with me and, and, and what Johnny says, they want Christ to build this church. And Jesus said, I will build my church. It's not about them. We're sending them. We're, 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 we're commissioning them as missionaries to the north, northern California. But we're not resting everything on their shoulders. Because if so, it would fall apart. Because Albert and Christine are not. Great of people as they are, nice, sweet. They try to hear from God, and they do hear from God. They're still just Albert and Christine. Johnny is still just Johnny. I'm still just me. But lately, I've been kind of wrestling with the whole insurance agent thing. And I, I actually met and had coffee with Abner and talked about it and talked with Johnny about it. And my wife hears it probably more than she needs to or wants to. But for years, I was a pastor in New York. I was a young adult pastor. And in Colorado, I did a lot of, I was a community outreach, basically, director is what it was technically called, but I did preaching and other pastoral duties. And my heart is to serve wherever he calls, but that's what I've always known and loved and done, and that's what I've always, uh, how I've always served God. And even in Ohio, I was, I did youth ministry, and it was all volunteer, but I ran the Bible study, I, I, I did VBS, all that stuff. So I felt like I was doing pastoral work because I was caring for them. I was shepherding them. I was directing them. Now I'm in a position of frustration. And even right now today, as I think about it, I would rather be doing full-time ministry. Not because this is no good, but because pastoral ministry and teaching and preaching is my passion. That's my first love, so to speak. Christ is really my first love. I don't want to, don't, don't get confused. That's what I would love to do on behalf of God. Let me say that much. Sundays are good and necessary, but that's not. Helping out Sundays is, is, is the necessity that we all need to, to do. 
helping out, serving each other is the necessity that we all need to do. But guess what? I love this phrase. There is no sacred and secular in God's eyes, like I said, but we're all normal. We're all here ministering on God's behalf, listening to God on behalf of the other, and guess what? They do it for us. School teacher is a priest. The lawyer is a priest. Yes, lawyers can be priests. I've always joked with lawyer friends that they're corrupt. But that's because I have one that's very close to mine. But uh, the stay-at-home parent is a priest. Any stay-at-home moms, dads? Guess what? You're a priest. Just imagine if we all lived as priests in our everyday lives grocery store, the home, so on and so forth, that we were listening to God to go and speak for God, listening to God to serve for God. And I think that's one of the biggest things that I struggle with is listening. I guarantee that right now. You want to find out? Ask my wife. She'll give you for sure that I'm not good at listening. But it's one of the most important. And I'm going to end with this is that if we're listening to God, we know exactly where God wants us and how and what he wants us to do. But if we're talking and doing and talking and doing, it's kind of hard to listen. And that's experience. Especially if you deal with teenagers. You like listening a whole lot more. But we can counsel and we can teach you do all those things with the very hands of God and the very words of God. That's the beauty of this priesthood. That we would all take and go for God. Our theme verse for the last uh, few weeks has been uh, Ephesians 4, 1-3. through 3. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you, Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And he goes on to say, There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I didn't think it would be right if I said, I'm going to preach about the priesthood of all believers today, what it means that we are a royal priesthood, and as this comic says, I'm going to preach on this, and ironically today, I'm going to do all the talking. I didn't think that would be right. I wanted to give you an opportunity to hear from somebody who doesn't bear the pastor of title at this church. He has, but he doesn't. And I wanted you to know, I wanted you to see lived out in living color this priesthood of all believers. If this is true, if it's true, and we are saying that it is, that every believer is a priest of God, then what is the most important work that we have to do? What's the most important thing that we do? I don't know if you've ever been to a church where they have priests. You know, the priest does the communion. The priest will, you know, will bless people. The priest will pray. In the old days, the priests used to give sacrifices. There was a lot of things that priests had to do, right? But if it's true that we are the priests, then what is the most important thing that we get to do? See, the priests were the ones who got to go into the presence of God. It was a big deal for them. They had to make sure their hearts were right, pure. You know, they tied 
a rope around the priest's waist so that when the priest would go in the presence of God, in case that person fell down dead, they could drag his body out, okay? Now, thankfully, the pastors here don't have to deal with that. And neither do you. But we get to go into the presence of God. If it's true that all believers are priests, and the most important thing that we get to do is we get to be in God's presence, to receive from him, to intercede, to be a mediator for one another and for those who have yet to know him. Now, I know it can seem intimidating, especially for those of us who have grown up in church where the pastor and the priest seem so high and far removed. In the past, we made it a habit of telling our church, our leaders within the church, that we, want, we said, we want you to see yourselves as pastors. And people would come up to us and say, don't tell us that. Because it intimidates us. I'm not you. I don't have the gifts that you have. But you know what? I'm starting to see this in a new way. Being called a priest or a priesthood of all believers, it doesn't primarily have to do with what is expected of you, what you do in ministry, what leadership capacity you have. Being a priest means that you have, as Aaron has already said, direct access to God for yourself that you can hear from God, that you can talk to God, that you can live your life with God. And it's from that place of encountering the glory of God in his presence that you then go out and do the acts of service for others. You have direct access to God. That's what it means that you are a priest, a royal priesthood in God's family, in God's kingdom. I want to start transitioning right now to our time of communion. This is what we do the first Sunday of every month. When we take communion, we are celebrating that direct access. We are celebrating that oneness that we can have with God. And we remember that it's through Jesus Christ, his sacrificial death on the cross, to take the punishment of the sin of all humankind so that we can have this direct access to God. And we rejoice in that because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and so he is raising us to new life if we are in him. And we rest confidently knowing that God did this, everything it took to allow us to be one with God eternal, because he loves us more intensely than we can even imagine. So as we prepare these elements today, I want to encourage you to make the most of that direct access. I want to ask, actually, if a couple of men can just, just grab this table right here, bring it up to the front so that we can get ready to take this communion today. I want to encourage you today to make the most of the direct access that you have with God. And Ben, you can go ahead and start playing as we pray. I want to encourage you, wherever you are with God today, uh, even if you feel like you're out in the middle of nowhere with God, Please know that today God has made it possible for you to take steps closer to to who he is, to what he has called you to. And he welcomes you with open arms as a perfect heavenly father, with no condemnation, with no shame, only grace and mercy. And even in the way that we take communion, I want you to know that we do try to practice this. If you're a Christian, we invite you to come up, take a piece of bread, dip it in the juice and partake. And even if you are not a Christian, we invite you to still come and just have a piece of bread because we believe that God is calling all people to his banqueting table. 
I'd like to ask for those who are administering communion. Uh, Aaron is going to be up here with me. Uh, Wes. Um, do we have our second uh, person that's going to be partnering with Wes too? Carol, thank you. So as we stand here, I just want to pray a blessing over this, uh, these elements. I want you to know that there is nothing magical about these physical representations. But what these elements represent is eternally powerful. This juice that represents the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us. The bread that represents the body that was broken for us. This is a reminder of what it took so that we could have that direct access, so that we could be called priests. And as Wes shared earlier, this is what it took, the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ, this is what it took so that we could be temples of the living God. That the Holy Spirit can dwell within us. Do you know, church, the power that we have access to because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? Do you know who you are today, church? Do you know what God has called you to? Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that as we go into this time, as we hold that bread in our hands or hold the juice, that we would know, Jesus Christ, that you have paid the price already. We don't need to do as the priests of old used to do to bring their sacrifices to be made right. You are the sacrifice. You are the final sacrifice. You have given your life so that we can be one with you. I pray now that as we take these elements that we would know who we are in you and what we have available to us because of what you have done. Thank you, God, for your sacrifice for us. We bless your name. We come before you with humble hearts to receive and to remember who you are. Thank you, God, in Jesus' name.